0: About Numbers chapter 1, I'll just read it to you. It says, "...the children of Israel encamp, each man with his own camp, each with his own standard, according to their own divisions. And the Levites are to camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there will be no wrath unleashed on the community of the children of Israel." And then it says a few chapters later, in Numbers eight nineteen, and I'm giving the Levites as a gift to Aaron and his sons from among the children of Israel to do the work on behalf of the children of Israel, Bnei Israel, in the tent of meeting, and to make atonement for them, so that there would be no plague among them for coming too close to the sanctuary. And I was thinking about that because the part of the Pinchas story that I didn't talk about was this part about the violation that took place. And in Numbers 25, what happens is that Zimri, this man from the tribe of Simeon, and he brings this midnight woman before the eyes of Moses, it says, verse 6, and of the whole assembly of the children of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And I was thinking, what was going on with Pinchas was this issue of the presence and protecting the very presence of God. The tent of meeting. In fact, he he runs them through with this spear and it pierces them and that stops the plague. I just read how there's this preservation of that the children of Israel and definitely pagans are not supposed to come close to the tent of meeting. And in the first passage I read, it talks about how they're to camp in certain order, in certain divisions. In fact, the word divisions, or armies, is the word tzavah, which is for Adonai Zevaot, the captain of the Lord of the armies. So the armies are encamped around the tent of meeting. And what's interesting is, is that just to the, the, the tent of meeting, the entrance is to the east. And the east is where Judah is encamped. Important tribe, right? The tribe of Yeshua. Guess where Simeon, or or Shimon, is encamped? Not to the east, but to the south. Simeon's camp to the south. So how is it that he runs into this tent with this woman in front of Moses, weeping to the tent, outside the tent of meeting? Well, it's hard to know based on the translation, but one of two things. Either he actually violates the tent of meeting, which is not likely, but either if it's not that, then he's going into somebody else's tent. Do you see what I'm saying? Everybody could see it. He's, he's Moses, it's right by the tent of meeting. My point was just that there's this severity Uh, of sin and violation and degradation of the covenant of God. And then there's this passion, this lover. Pinkas was a lover of his presence. There's this preservation of the manifest presence of God in the tabernacle, right? The holy of holies. There's this fire coming down out of heaven. He was a lover of his presence. He was It had the zeal as it talks about, right? The word zeal there, kana, means not just zeal, it means jealousy. It even means provocation. Like we're supposed to provoke one another to jealousy for the Lord, right? It's the same word. Our lives are supposed to be zealous and they're supposed to be provoking one another to be lovers of His presence. Amen. Amen. Shall we go home? Call out the worship team? So, so Lord, just be with us. In connecting dots, Lord, and taking us further into being lovers of your presence. Ouch. <laughs> and to being an understanding what it means to be priests in your kingdom to be representatives of your covenant, to be representatives even of your presence. B'Shem Yeshua Mashichenu, Amen. So, earlier it was interesting because I don't think you could walk away with what I was saying about Pinchas and think that you could go and just take the law into your own hands. Which is usually the question, can you just go and take and where there's injustice, can you just make it right? You couldn't. You may think that, but you couldn't take taken that away from what I was saying. I was talking about being submitted to authority, right? So your authorities would have to have been saying that. And I am an authority in this congregation, and I wasn't saying that, right? So you couldn't have heard that. But why am I emphasizing that even here? Because We are so, we can't talk about this corporate dimension enough in our society. I want to talk about it till we're blue in the face, because we're so individualistic. We think we're so right about everything. And we run from accountability. And accountability is hard. It takes time and energy and money and sacrifice. And humility that we might be wrong. That's difficult for Americans. When I was in Israel, one of the interesting things about uh, the perception of Americans, there's one word. Do you know what it is? Arrogance. They just assume you're arrogant. And even the most humble ones, they still sense some sort of arrogance on them. That's just uh, getting outside of ourselves here a little bit. You know, When you live somewhere else, you, kinda, you learn things about yourself and your country, which is not just, see, sometimes we think about America as like, America, right? What I'm saying is, America. We are America. We are individualistic. Hello? We have to, if we don't acknowledge these things, awareness is the first step to intervention. But, like I say, it's not enough to post about it on Facebook. We've got to do something about it. And so what I'm saying is this call to the priesthood, there's this first lesson, there's many lessons, and that is that priests don't serve alone, do they? It's called priesthood. (laughs) That's funny. I don't know what the hood means, really, but... It's like brotherhood. I guess it just means plural. <laughs> but it means that there's this corporate dimension to it. <laughs> the English language is funny, isn't it? There's this corporate dimension. There's this corporate identity. Ultimately, what I'm talking about is identity. And we're one, I've been saying that from the pulpit a lot that I want us to become who God created us to be, right? Well, one of the ways that we become who God created us to be, is by understanding our corporate identity and not just our personal identity. We usually just think in personal calling. We need to think in corporate calling as well because your personal calling is intimately tied with your corporate identity. We'll get back to that. I want to show you a few things uh, further about Pinchas. Psalm 106 mentions Pinchas, and it's quite interesting. Psalm 106 is kind of the story of Israel and the unfaithfulness of Israel, but how in the end God will be faithful, that God is faithful to his covenants. He will remember his covenant with them regardless of their faithfulness. But verse 28 of Psalm 106 Says this, then they yoked themselves to Baal of Peor, this is our story this morning, and ate the sacrifices of dead things. So they provoked him, the Lord, with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas, Pinchas, stood up and intervened, so the plague was stopped. It was credited to him as righteousness, from generation to generation. Forever. Lador Olam. Olam. A few very interesting things about this. First of all, this word here, but uh Phineas stood up and intervened. Is this word Palal? Now Palal is interesting because it means prayer. It means intercession. It means intervention. And the rabbis who were kind of uncomfortable with the story of Pinchas, some of the rabbis, anytime you talk about the rabbis, it depends who you're talking about, right? They have many opinions. But one opinion was they were uncomfortable and didn't want to encourage these Israelites to take the law into their own hands. And they said, well, he didn't actually kill anybody, he just prayed. <laughs> Which isn't true, but I think the emphasis is interesting connecting with intercession and prayer with what the actions were that Pinchas actually did. Number two, I want us to see that it was credited to him as righteousness. Have you ever heard or seen that before? Pinchas, the covenant of shalom, was credited to him as righteousness. Now, who does that remind us of? Abraham. It's only mentioned like this one other time in Scripture. And it's in another covenantal context of Genesis chapter 15 when God makes the covenant with Abraham. And He says to him, it's usually emphasized wrongly. That's why I'm thinking how to say it. It's usually emphasized it's because of his belief that it was credited to him as righteousness, right? Because of his faith. But it isn't just some sort of mental assent to some idea that it's credited to him as righteousness. That's not what's taking place in Genesis 15. In fact, at this point, Abraham has already left the Ur of the Chaldeans. He's left Haran. He's left his family, or his original family. He brought some with him. And God is crediting this to him as righteousness, and we'll find out in a little bit, there's even more to it. But what he's righteousness, just a quick definition, is simply right living, or doing what is right according to a, a standard or a covenant. So that's why we see this covenant of shalom that takes place. Now hold that, and I want to quickly uh, juxtaposition this story next to the story in Matthew 27, about Barabbas. Barabbas. So who is Barabbas? Well, I'd have to turn there first. But Barabbas is an interesting figure. And Matthew's version actually brings out something interesting. 27 verse 15. Now during the feast, the governor was accustomed to release to the crowd one prisoner, anyone they wanted. You guys know the scenario here. This is the trial of Yeshua. The kangaroo court and this is before Pilate and he says at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Yeshua bar Abba we're not talking about Yeshua Hamashiach it says his name is Yeshua bar Abba which means Jesus son of the what father interesting that's what Barabbas means It means son of the father, and some manuscripts have the name Jesus in front of him as well. So it's an interesting position here. What do we have? We have, and when we look in the other Gospels, we see that Barabbas isn't just like a bandit criminal thief, okay? But Barabbas is actually a revolutionary. Barabbas, he's a zealot. He probably was a big fan Of the Maccabees okay he was a zealot now we're talking about the zealousness of Pinchas right well we've got a problem here and that is that Barabbas Yeshua bar Abba (laughs) it's so weird to say that isn't it Yeshua bar Abba he tries to take the kingdom by violence He tries to take the kingdom by force. What is Yeshua going to do when he returns? He's going to take the kingdom by force. Wow! Yeshua Bar Abba wasn't so far off, was he? Now, am I saying he was a good guy? I don't know. I'm not saying he was a good guy. But I'm saying he was a zealot, revolutionary, not unlike Pinchas in some way, but there was, is something different. He had a wrong connection to the earthly authority. Right? He got that part off. He was off. Okay? He may have heard God. I mean, remember, we can't even hardly blame him. The Maccabees rose up and they fought and through violence they actually pushed back The Greek Empire. Wow! But, so it wasn't as if there was no precedence even to his theology. (laughs) And yet, he was wrong. It's about timing, isn't it? You have earthly authorities that help with timing. Have you ever got a word from the Lord and you were off on the interpretation? It's usually having to do with timing. (laughs) So we have to wrestle with the timing of the Lord and we're to do that with earthly authorities. Hello. This is about becoming a priest. This is what it means to function as a priest. That you don't do it alone. You don't Serve alone. It's impossible to serve alone. You won't, you won't accomplish anything, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go start a revolution, and I'm going to kill somebody. Well, killing one person isn't going to do it, right? Maybe Barabbas killed one person. That isn't going to start a revolution. Unless it's Ferdinand in 19, for the World War I. That's not true. ooh, there you go, or or the Yeshua bar Abba. But either way, the timing has to be in his timing, right? So he came as Yeshua ben Yosef, the suffering one, and it wasn't yet time for Yeshua ben David, the king, right? So it's still back to timing and being connected with the Lord. And I want to demonstrate this just briefly, by talking about the the my small group, I was sharing this with them this week, and how when we say a, a traditional Jewish blessing, it's Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, whatever, right? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. So I'm alone for lunch one day, and I'm praying, Blessed are you, I'm alone, Lord our God. King of the universe. Why am I praying? Why don't I pray, Lord, my God? There's this corporate dimension to the blessings, to prayer, even when you're alone, right? Why? What are you doing when you're saying blessings? It's really a prophetic declaration about the character and nature of God. It's not just prophetic future. It's prophetic now. You have blessed me. You have provided for me. You have whatever. Whatever. You see something and you're thanking him. But there's this corporate dimension, there's this priestly corporate dimension to the blessing, even when you're alone. Because we're not called to be lone soldiers. Now, (laughs) what should I do? Lord, help me. I have a lot more to say. Okay. Here's the problem. In church history, there's been this understanding that the church is called to priesthood, right? The problem is, the church has taught, right, That they've replaced the priesthood of Israel okay we all know that so that's a big problem though so a lot of people when they start coming into the Messianic movement they start having this wrestle and asking these questions especially if they're starting to step into their identity Jew or Gentile because most Jews today are not Levitical priests right most Jews aren't Levites, and most Levites aren't priests. So it's a small percent of even Jews, let alone Messianic Jews, that are actually priests according to the Torah. You're all aware of this, right? So what do we do? Because the majority of the nations, or all of the nations aren't priests, and the majority of Israel are not priests. And yet we have a priestly calling. It says in 1 Peter, for we are a chosen generation, or you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? What was he talking to? Well, Christians say he's talking to the church, but I think the context is actually talking about Israel. But the answer is, really both. And I want to read this quote from Don Finto, Papa Don. If you know Don, he's a, really a grandfather of the Messianic movement, although he's a Gentile and is just um, really an amazing man of God. He said, this is in his book, Your People Shall Be My People. If you haven't read it, it's, I think, probably the best on-ramp to understanding the importance of Israel and, and Messianic Judaism. We do not have the right to take words spoken to Israel and appropriate them to the church or the Gentiles until we have recognized their intended meaning to the people originally addressed. Which is actually just good biblical exegesis, good biblical interpretation. You have to understand the words in their original context to their original audience before you can take principles to apply to your own life. But he says, even then, these promises belong to us, the Gentile church, only because we are grafted into Israel's roots and along with her inherit the promises made to her. So this is answering the question. He's saying, if you're, going, if, you're, if you're going to read into the Scriptures, especially in the Tanakh as a Gentile, can you read yourself into the story? Right? Has anybody ever had that question? as somebody connecting with the message? Okay, one nod, two maybe? The answer is yes, but there's this necessary deference and realization that you're grafted into the olive tree that is Israel. And what happens is, It's similar to our emphasis here on this unity of Jew and Gentile, is that even though it seems like just a little bit of a a slight tweak, it actually reframes and opens up this whole new lens, this whole new world to understanding the Scripture. Because you began to see your place. You began to see where you fit into the story. You began to see principles differently. and I'll uh, head towards the conclusion with this. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is a a weighty chapter. Yeshua is about to unfold the scroll. That begins the last of the last days, the end of the end times. And he is the only one who has been found worthy, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And the one seated on the throne, the ancient of days, is with him. And it says in verse 8: He had taken the scroll, and the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the Kedushim, the prayers of the saints. And they are singing a new song, Shir Hadash, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you redeemed for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And here's the passage I want to highlight. You have made them for our God a kingdom and kohanim, and priests. And they shall reign upon the earth. What I want us to see, Jew and Gentile, this is important, is that our destiny is to be priests in His kingdom. And because the kingdom has broken in, We are able and it's possible to be priests and we are supposed to be priests in this age and not just in the age to come. Because our destiny is our ultimate identity. So I'm wanting us all to wrestle with our identity and in order to do that we need to know where we're going, right? Right? You need to know what your destiny is to be able to understand your identity. And you have to know what your identity is so that you know who you are. And when you begin to understand your identity, then you can begin to take steps towards your destiny. That may sound a little wordy. What I'm saying is is that we have to know where we're going If we want to be able to get there otherwise we could just be wandering we don't want to be wandering now granted the children of Israel didn't just wander in the desert they actually followed the Lord okay but we want to go somewhere not without God we want to go with him but if we don't know who we are how are we going to get there and what we see is is that our destiny is caught up with the destiny of Yeshua Yeshua's destiny is for the redemption of the world. Our destiny is as the bride of Messiah. His destiny is as the bridegroom of Messiah. We have the same destiny, and He wants us to play a part if we'll come into our fullness and our identity and priests as representatives of the covenant of God in the earth. So we have to step into this priestly role where we are this this intermediary between God and the world. We represent God wherever you go. People are watching. They see what you're doing. The good, the bad, what comes out of your mouth, your actions. And I want to just finish by emphasizing biblical love. Dan... Juster refers to biblical love this way because I think one of the main problems that we have today when, we talk, when we're looking around at least in the United States is that we, the world has this wrong definition of love. They're, they're thinking, I was talking about this amoral society, right? Yes, it's immoral, but to them it's just amoral. They don't, it's like they don't even know what right and wrong is. They're doing whatever they want, and they think it's right. They feel it's right, right? They think it's love. But they don't have the same definition of love that we have. And here's, a, I think, a good definition of love. Compassion for the God-intended destiny of another guided by law. Compassion For the God-intended destiny of one another guided by law. So it's not just, if it's not guided by law, it can turn into humanistic sentiment, as Dan likes to say. But it's it's also this reality that we need to help one another into their God-intended destiny. It's not just some emotional feeling. I love uh, Leah. It's not enough to emotionally love Leah. She will tell you. I'm serious. It's not enough. It's part of the package. But that's actually the easier part. The harder part is to do things through my actions that actually help her move into her God-intended destiny. Hello? It's not just about Tom and, and my life and my vocation and what I'm doing or what God's doing through me. Hello? I have to care about Leah and what God is doing in her and through her and for her and I have to be her number one fan to put her on my shoulders and to help her become who God created her to be. Why? Because the priesthood isn't singular. It's a hood. it's plural it's corporate it starts with the family though right if I'm saying that to you all and I'm not doing it in my marriage it isn't gonna happen but I can tell you I am trying to do that in my marriage and you better try and do it in your marriage as well but then what happens you start thinking outside of yourself for once I'm being a little harsh and we start thinking about others and the well-being of others, and how God might want to use them to actually start a revolution. A zealous revolution like Pinchas. Not because he killed, but because he was being obedient to God. Okay, I better stop there. I have a lot more to say. Lord, we just thank you for this Shabbat for your covenant of shalom, that you desire to bring order and peace into our lives, that you desire and called us to a priesthood. Lord, help us to wrestle with what it means to be a priest of the living God, what it means to be a Jew or Gentile walking in this priesthood dimension, what it means to serve the body of Messiah, what it means to serve our spouses or our children's destiny, God, or our parents' even destiny. Our loved ones, God, help us to be rightly connected with heavenly and earthly authority in our lives. Help us to journey into our corporate identity and not just our personal identity. Help us to expand your kingdom. Help us to grow your kingdom Help us to be lovers of your presence. Help us to war on behalf of preserving your presence, of making a place for you to dwell, of bringing your kingdom to the earth, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, that your presence would come on earth as it is in heaven. And that we will be changed forevermore. (laughs) Amen.
1: Bless the Lord. Thank you, Tom. I want to give us a encouragement. This is the encouragement. That this week you would discipline yourself to be thinking about other people's destinies, other people's callings, and what you can do to support the fulfillment of their destinies and callings. Whether that's your spouse, whether that's your roommate or friend, whether that's some family member, whether that's someone in this congregation, I want to encourage us to think more about other people's destinies and callings this week than our own. Because there's something about thinking about others and praying into others' callings and destinies That's very fulfilling. And I'm not saying that should be the motivation of doing it. But I can testify that it's very fulfilling. Because it's part of walking in union with the heart of God. Because he's so focused in his compassionate love. To enable people to fulfill their destinies. That when we focus our minds in that direction, we end up partnering with Him and experiencing the fulfillment of walking in union with Him. So, is anybody who would like to try that this week? What if, what if? singles even started to identify with other singles in a fresh way and just thinking, how can I help my single friends fulfill their destiny? Or maybe you're single and you want to be thinking about marriages. How can I help this couple fulfill their destiny? Or if you're married, maybe you could be thinking about singles. How can I help this single fulfill their destiny? Or maybe you can even involve your family if you have young children. How can we as a family help this other family fulfill their destiny? How can we help this single mother fulfill her destiny? Let's think about others. Let's think about the destiny of others. Because when we're doing that, guess what? You'll begin to fulfill your own destiny. Because no matter what our destinies and callings are, they always boil down to loving others.
2: John? Thank you. Thank you for that, Rich. And it's my pleasure to serve as the one who gives the priestly blessing. (laughs) Therefore, stand to your feet, please. God said to put the name of God on the children of Israel. What a blessing it is to serve and to put the name of God, to be able to participate with God Almighty in placing his seal on the forehead of his servants. Yivarekaka, Adonai, v'yismarekha, yayu Adonai, panavalecha, v'kunecha, yisei Adonai, panavalecha, v'yisem lecha, shalom. The Lord bless you. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord who blesses you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. May he protect you. May he hear your prayers and cover you. May he protect you and bless you and lift up his beauty, his face, his countenance upon you. And may he give you peace. Oh, God of our fathers, even as you gave Pincus peace, a covenant of peace, may you see in us the zeal and desire of Almighty God, and give us the covenant of shalom in the face of Yeshua. Shabbat shalom.